And, you know, we get the question all the time, well, everybody pays per diem. Well, don't call it per diem. Call it what it should be called. Structure it properly. And, and you can do the same thing and have those incentive payments out there as a, as a way to, you know, properly staff your job and get the work done. All right, everyone. Well, welcome back to an episode of Labor Thoughts here uh, for our observant viewers and listeners out there. Well, I guess our listeners can't tell right now, but they will very soon. We don't actually have uh, Chuck Kelly with us today. He wasn't available to discuss this topic. So I got someone that was, uh, I would say, as versed, if not better versed on what we want to talk about per diems. Recently, Labor Relations put out a bulletin where we discussed per diems and how they're being paid in the field and some issues that might create. And who better to talk about that than NECA's general counsel and vice president of risk management, Jeff Fagan. Jeff, do you want to say a few words? Sure, Ryan. And and good morning, everyone. I'm happy to be here on the Labored Thoughts podcast. I, I can't fill Chuck Kelly's shoes. I won't try to, but um, but I'm happy to be here to talk about an important topic. You know, this topic has come up. Everyone wants to talk about per diem. Everyone wants to talk about incentive pay and bonuses. We know it's a reality out there. It's a business reality. And we're not here this morning to tell you not to have a bonus program or incentive program, but we're going to talk about some of the ramifications of calling it something that it's not. Very good way to set that up. As we mentioned, we're discussing per diems. They're not anything new in our industry. If I had to guess, I'd say they're more prolific in our line industry, but they are starting to find their way more on our inside projects, especially with our large, you know, the large data centers and just some of the just very large projects we have going on around the country. You start to see workforce shortages and employers are needing to employ different tactics and methods to get creative and recruit people. And one of the ways they do that is through, um, as Jeff mentioned, per diems or incentive pay or kind of call it what you want. I reiterate what Jeff is saying. This is not something that we want to tell you not to do. All we're here to do today is to tell you some of the things to be mindful of and to look out for because we don't want uh, your idea or your method to cost you more than you realized. Let's just start with per diems. Per diems are put in place for when employees travel. They are supposed to be a simplistic method for an employer to reimburse employees for their expenses that they incur when they travel. They are considered legitimate per diems when there is a business purpose. For the per diem, uh, the amount is a reimbursement for lodging, for meals or incidentals. And it is also, and this is a very key one, and I think one that employers may miss from time to time, uh, it can be proven with a timely filed expense report that contains certain items such as date, time, place, amount, and the business purpose of the expense. Essentially, you have to kind of document the expense. Notice that I didn't say receipt in that. You don't have to collect receipts with per diems. That's whenever the employer is directly reimbursing for an expense. And then the last one, and this is one that may actually catch employers more than uh, the business or the, the, the expense report, it's that the employee sleeps away from their home, or I think the actual terminology is their tax base. I see Jeff shaking his head there, so I think I got that one right. Um, so th those are what are determined a, as a proper per diem, or you may hear us say legitimate per diem during this. 
if the employer is ticking all of those boxes when they're paying that amount to the individual. Oh, and I'm sorry, I kind of jumped right into this and I missed another important one. And I'll actually show it on the screen here. Um, If you navigate to a website uh, that's by the General Services Administration of the government, they have the per diem rates for an area. And on that website, you can plug in the zip code of your project and it will actually tell you what the per diem rate is. Why am I talking about the per diem rate right now? Well, not only those other items I mentioned, like business purpose, reimbursement for lodging, uh, timely filed expense report and sleeping away from their home, the amount cannot exceed whatever the amount is for that area. So if the amount for that area is $55 and that's for lodging and meals and expenses, that's the max the employer can pay without having to tax it as a wage and without it causing some other issues that we're going to talk about here in a minute. So if you're watching the video portion of this project or of this podcast, you'll see uh, the website on your screen and I'll kind of show you an example of how to navigate there. When you've ticked all those boxes, you have what we refer to as a proper or legitimate per diem. And as I just said, there you don't have to tax it because it's not considered a wage and it also doesn't impact other calculations or other issues uh, with the employee. I've talked about the proper per diem. So I've played good cop. Now I'm going to bring in bad cop and Jeff Fagan. Would you talk to us a little bit about what happens when they're not proper? Sure. So we have seen cases and, you know, I've heard direct uh, commentary and anecdotal commentary on what folks call per diem. And, and sometimes that term is misused. You know, it's, it's really an overused term for uh, incentive compensation or incentive bonuses, you know, so you have an employer that says, you know, perhaps the employer says, you know, I need extra labor on a particular job and I'm going to expect them to work, you know, overtime, we're, we're in a time crunch or, or you know, perhaps regionally there's a labor shortage. They throw a, a, a bonus program together and they call it a per diem. If that program is not as as Ryan described it, you can still have it and pay it. But but then it becomes compensation that triggers two things, you know, one are tax consequences and the other is overtime ramifications. And, and the problem that that arises is that if an incentive payment or a bonus payment is not actually per diem, so it's not for uh, reimbursement of reasonable expenses that are properly calculated and calculated at the rate that the area would support, what you have to do with that compensation you have to roll that compensation into the regular rate of pay calculation when you're calculating overtime. All the Fair Labor Standards Act cares about, uh, it cares about two things, really. An employee is paid the minimum wage for any hour worked, which is almost never a problem for our folks, and that that employee is paid at least time and a half for overtime. So if that employee, for example, is making $40 an hour, and that employee works overtime, that employee is going to get what, Ryan? $60. Yeah. Right? That would be the time and a half. Now, if the CBA says it's double time, then that employee is going to get 80 and, and, and that's fine. What is that overtime calculated on? Well, if there's no additional compensation properly added to that $40, then it's the $40 and that's the regular rate. However, if you pay someone $100 a day to show up to work, and it's not a per diem, it's not for reimbursed expenses, it's just a, an incentive payment to show up to work, and you don't fall under any of the other exclusions, which we'll talk a little bit about today, 
then that regular rate increases. Okay, so that $500 for $100 a day for that five-day work week is, is going to increase the regular rate. So if that employee then works any time overtime, then that $500 has to be pumped into the regular rate and it's going to increase the regular rate. Now, you may be thinking, well, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a lot of money. However, multiply that issue by all of your employees over all of the period of time that that you're we're talking about on that incentive pay project and you start to get into the thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars and so that's really the crux of the issue here we we get presented we i say legal and and labor relations at NECA get presented with scenarios and and that's the analysis that we use we we use an analysis that that tries to find exclusions for that incentive payment so that we can avoid pumping it into the regular rate. Because if we do that, then that's going to cost the contractor more money. And it often will trip the contractor up at, at pay time and they'll be paying an improper rate for, for overtime. That's very good that you, you point out that distinction. So we started this out talking about per diems. You know, that's that's what raised this issue. But that's kind of the, I guess, the the symptom and not necessarily the the real issue, which is, as you state, it's it's the employee's regular rate of pay. And and that creates a lot of confusion because our employers are so accustomed to dealing with the contractual rate or the CBA rate or the journeyman rate, whatever you want to call it. And they forget that there's this other rate out there that that the government pays way more attention to than they do the contractual rate. And that's that is the regular rate of pay. And and why don't we clear something up right away? And Jeff, I'm going to quiz you and hopefully you'll be able to answer much quicker than I was able to there. The regular rate of pay, is that the rate that the employer has to pay for every hour worked? No, the regular rate of pay would be the basis that the Fair Labor Standards Act or the Department of Labor would use in calculating proper overtime. See, the Department of Labor doesn't care about your CBA rate of pay. So if a CBA says, you know, you get special pay for Saturdays or Sundays, or you get double time. The Fair Labor Standards Act and the DOL don't care about that. What they care about is when you go back and analyze proper payment, what was the regular rate and did you pay time and a half for overtime on that regular rate? As you know, Ryan, and I've seen in, in your materials that you distribute, you can get to a point where you don't understand any of this, but you're still paying properly under the Fair Labor Standards Act, right? Because if you're paying double time, chances are that even if you calculate the regular rate incorrectly, you're still covering that number. So there's a number at the end of the work week that the Department of Labor is concerned about. Let's say that number is $2,200, because I think I've seen that in your materials. That number is $2,200. They'll do their math by calculating the incentive pay that 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 employees received what they're supposed to be paid as an hourly rate and then come up with what the regular rate is and then do the the calculation of 10 let's say 10 hours times the 1.5 and then they get to their number and all they care about is was Jane paid $2200 for that work week because she worked 10 hours of overtime and we may get to the point where let's say it's the $40 we've paid Jane uh, double time for that time and a half. And so we've swallowed up that regular rate calculation and it doesn't matter in the end. You should still know how to calculate that regular rate so that your accounting arm or your your bookkeeper 
knows that you're doing it, it correctly. And Jeff just pointed out a very good reason there why it can get so confusing so quickly. But yeah, it's that that amount at the end of the week that they're really concerned about. And week is a good term because that's actually how they define your regular rate of pay. It's on a per week basis, which makes it even more fun because it can actually change depending on the amount of hours worked in that week. So it gets to be very, very interesting math. Uh, And I'm going to expand a little bit as well on what Jeff talked about with the double time. Like Jeff said, if your contract calls for double double time for certain overtime or certain overtime worked or for all overtime worked, uh, the chapter manager knows who I'm talking about right now. That does essentially, according to the law and by my read of it, my uh, professional non-legal opinion, actually get credited towards the overtime that the employer owes. So double time is an exclusion, essentially, from the regular rate of pay. It doesn't inflate it. But it is the only exclusion, if I'm getting that right, that can be or it's one of the only exclusions that can be credited towards the uh, what overtime the employer would owe. Jeff? So double time falls into an exclusion category. So there's a there's an exclusion. And, th- and this is from the Code of Federal Regulations lists all of the proper exclusions to the regular rate calculation. And one of them is extra compensation that's paid pursuant to an employment contract or collective bargaining agreements. If you have an agreement to pay double time that is is a proper exclusion there's there's also and and we're, i'm going to talk about this specifically because it's a it's sort of a, a a helpful way to overcome the bonus issue and avoid regular rate calculations and and that's by using an overtime premium you can pay as an incentive employees for working overtime on a job and and you know if look if you're paying incentive pay and bonus pay to employees, you're probably working them overtime. And so if you call it an overtime premium, and I can get specific on that, but if you call it an overtime premium, you can then avoid the regular rate calculation. And in addition, that counts toward your obligation to pay that time and a half that's required under the Fair Labor Standards Act. That's uh, It's very good that you bring that up. Why don't we actually, let's lay out two scenarios. One of them will be, let's say, the traditional scenario that we get presented with, and that'll be the one that does impact the regular rate. And we can you know, discuss briefly because I think we've gone into quite uh, extensive detail on why it can impact the regular rate of pay. But let's give a practical real world example for our employers. And then to add some contrast to that, we'll then discuss how to do that same scenario, but to tweak it just a little bit, and then it doesn't impact. How about I set up the scenario and then you tell me why it's wrong, and then we'll then take that scenario and we'll tweak it to make it right. Alrighty, so we have a situation where we have an employer that has a large project in an area, and the employer to get electrical workers to come to that job, they add $100 each day, they call it a per diem, and they tell the local union about that, local union puts it out on the call, and let's say 30 people show up at the job site. These 30 people live at their ha- live in this city, so they're sleeping at home each night, but they're getting that 100 bucks each day to show up and work. The job is working around let's just say 50 hours or I don't know, let's bump it up. Let's say 60 hours each week. The employees show up, they work, they get their $100 each day. What's wrong with that scenario, Jeff? Well, there's nothing wrong with it unless you don't calculate overtime correctly, right? So Again, we're not here to tell you, hey, don't do the incentive pay jobs. Don't do the per diem jobs. 
if each employee gets $500 for working that week and works 20 hours of overtime, their regular rate is going to go up by that $500. That $500 extra compensation has to be rolled in to their regular rate. You're going to pay taxes on that as wages, and that's proper compensation to be to be used to calculate their overtime. So in your area, if you're paying time and a half, that's where you're going to get in trouble because if you omit that $500, you're going to be shorting that employee on those 20 hours by whatever the increase in the regular rate would be. Let's say it's you know $20 an hour, $10 an hour or whatever, but you, you have to know what that regular rate is in order to properly compensate them for the, the overtime in, in, in that area. And if it does help, I will make sure to link in the description of this podcast some resources that employers can use that are from the Department of Labor where they actually walk through step by step how to calculate that overtime rate. As Jeff said, we're not telling you not to do this, but why don't we talk about a way to do this to continue operating as you are, but avoid this regular rate of pay. So Jeff, how can the employer tweak this scenario just slightly and avoid that, uh, I guess, gotcha at the end of the week on the regular rate of pay? Sure. So in, in that scenario, and, and it's a common scenario, right? Because as I said, if if you're paying incentive pay, you're probably working everybody overtime. You know, everybody's probably working six days a week or they're working 10 hours a day. And one way to avoid the roll up into the regular rate so that you can just control the overtime, you know exactly what the overtime is going to be. You know, the, the, the rate of pay is $40 an hour. You know, overtime is going to be $60 an hour if you're paying time and a half. What you could do is you could call that per diem, which it's not. You could call that bonus pay what's called an overtime premium, right? So that's an exclusion under the Code of Federal Regulations. Um, you could call it an overtime premium, and you could say to each employee, if you work 50 hours uh, a week, you're going to get $100 a day. So that for that week, if you work 50 or more hours, you're going to get $100 a day. If that's the way you structure that, then that $100 a day is, is not rolled into the regular rate. It's called an overtime premium bonus or incentive. And that's a proper exclusion under the Fair Labor Standards Act. So instead of calling it a per diem and paying it as a per diem, you call it an overtime premium. And you don't, if someone works 49 hours, they don't get that $100 a day, right? So so you have to have a set, you have to have set criteria. It should be in writing. It should be agreed upon ahead of time. And that, and that would allow you to incentivize that workforce to not only come and work your job, but also to work overtime. You can also uh, structure it so that you can say, if you work Saturday, I'll give you $400 or $500, however you want to incentivize that. And that can be a proper incentive if it's outside of the normal business period under the contract or under under that, that project. You know, you could say, look, we got to bump this up. We're running into a deadline here. Anybody that works Saturday is going to get a $500 incentive for working that. And that's an, an extraordinary day. And this is irregardless of what the CBA says. This is this is just something that you could set up. So there are, there are ways to do it to avoid that regular rate gotcha and those extra calculations. Unfortunately, we see it termed wrong and, and not set up properly. And, you know, we get the question all the time, well, everybody pays per diem. Well, don't call it per diem. Call it what it should be called. Structure it properly. And you can do the same thing and have those incentive payments 
out there as a, as a way to, you know, properly staff your job and get the work done. Something very important to point out with what Jeff and I just discussed there is no matter which way you do that, whether you tweak it or you're still just paying the incentive pay or the per diem, they both still need to be taxed as a wage. So first and foremost, make sure you're doing that. I want to hit touch on something in that as well that Jeff talked about. So attaching this payment to uh, an incentive to work overtime or an incentive to work a special day. Jeff picked those examples specifically because the Fair Labor Standards Act specifically excludes those items from the regular rate of pay. There are times where you're not calling it a per diem, you're calling it an incentive or a bonus, that it could still become part of the regular rate of pay. And you have to pay very close to those, very close attention to those exclusions. And I'll link a a webpage from the Department of Labor where they talk about some of the items that can be excluded, some of the items that cannot be excluded. At the end of the day, I do not recommend you making these decisions on your own. Run it by your uh, your CPA, run it by uh, your legal counsel. Make sure that this program that you're setting up helps you avoid some of these pitfalls that we're talking about because we cannot stress enough. We're not telling you not to do this. We're just telling you, here's some of the pitfalls if you do that properly or you calculate it wrong. Jeff, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah. And I'll just add that there are other exclusions. You know, you can pay discretionary bonuses to employees. The Department of Labor came out with a final rule in January of 2020 that clarified some of those exclusions. For example, you know, you can pay an employee of the month bonus that then is not rolled into that employee's regular rate. You can pay employees for extraordinary work on a project. You know, let's say you finished early and you want to reward a foreman or you want to reward a group for extraordinary work. You can do that. You can make that payment. And that's not rolled into the regular rate. So that wouldn't disturb the overtime for that week for those employees. You can provide pay for time off, uh, you know, for holidays or vacation pay, those kinds of things, if, if that's what, what your CBA calls for or that's what you pay. So, so those kinds of things are exclusions. I think that, you know, as, as we're getting into the vaccination issues, you know, if, if you, you choose to pay for time to go get vaccinated um, and you pay extra, maybe you provide an incentive or a bonus related to being vaccinated, I would argue that that's an exclusion that's not certainly not specifically listed in the exclusions, but I would argue that that's the kind of discretionary bonus that would be permitted. That's not going to impact most people most of the time because we're talking more about the non-discretionary set kind of incentive pay. But but those are other examples of, of what the law would permit. So there there are other categories that that you can take advantage of. So Jeff, I want to key in on something you just said there. You were talking about discretionary bonuses and how that can be excluded from the regular rate of pay. Something our employers need to be mindful and be very careful of is when they cross that line from discretionary to non-discretionary. A scenario I was presented with very recently is one that I believe is a non-discretionary bonus. Uh, The employer in question here is paying their employees to essentially show up every day for work. It's not necessarily are they working overtime or something like that. It's just if you show up to work Monday through Friday, you're getting X per day. I did my own research on this, and I think it's not a discretionary bonus, but considering I can't add attorney to my title, 
I think I should ask the attorney here. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I think it's well, two things. It's non-discretionary because it is it's set ahead of time and available to anyone. It is also not something that falls into an other exclusion. You can have non-discretionary uh, type of incentive pay, for example, like we said, the overtime premiums. You can come up with a, a scenario where you would say, you know, this is non-discretionary. This is if you hit this criteria, you will get paid uh, this bonus or incentive pay, um, and that could be an exclusion. But in general, certainly a, a bonus just to come to work to work not on a special day, not on a special project and not overtime, that wouldn't be something that would fall into either an exclusion or a proper discretionary bonus. And I would argue that that, that would have to get rolled into the regular rate. It wouldn't be a way to do what we're talking about doing and, and avoiding that regular rate recalculation. Well, and something tells me if you would argue that, I'm sure the Department of Labor would argue it probably more passionately. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sure, right. And with, yeah. you know, trouble damages and attorney's fees. But. Oh boy. Yeah. That's a, that's another route. Well, Jeff, I think we've pretty well navigated our way through this topic. We covered per diems, you know, the, what started the, the issue, what started the discussion. We found our way to the real issue, which is uh, the regular rate of pay, where if the employer is making these types of payments and they aren't able to exclude them from the regular rate of pay for a lot of the reasons that we talked about, then it inflates the regular rate of pay which then, you know, has a, a roll-up effect and impacts the overtime, everything that we discussed. Uh, but we also discussed some real-world examples, the, the situation that does create this issue, and then we kind of gave our employers a, an idea or a, a path to continue to operate this way, to continue to incentivize their employees, but not have this, you know, issue at the end of the pay week or, or at the end of the year, depending on whenever the issue happens to come to light. Before I sign us off here, I'm just going to ask Jeff. Jeff, did there is there any closing comments you'd like to make, or anything you think we may have missed? Well, I you know I just want to follow up on the last comment that I made, and and, and this isn't to scare anybody, but just just so that you're aware, you know, the plaintiffs' attorneys out there that practice in the Fair Labor Standards Act area on overtime issues in particular know these exclusions backwards and forwards. And, and I have a, a good friend of mine who is a plaintiff's attorney in this area. And he said, I love when they call them per diems because they're usually not per diems. And, and then I got them in an overtime violation. And remember, if you get sued for improper overtime payments, you're, uh, you could be liable for what's called treble or triple damages. And plus, you're paying the plaintiff's attorney's, attorney's fees. And the other thing is, if you if you do it for one employee in a category, you're, you, you've done it for all the employees in that category, right? So that liability of maybe it's a couple hundred bucks a week per employee or a hundred bucks a week per employee adds up if you're doing it for everyone that is, is similarly situated. And then you'll get what's called a collective action or a class action in wage and hour law parlance uh, filed against you. That's where you get the million dollar judgments against uh, against employers. And, and, and it adds up pretty quickly. So uh, if our employers are still listening and they haven't closed the podcast and picked up the phone and started calling their attorneys, uh, I hope you have gotten some information out of this and found it valuable. I know I sure have. I always enjoy going through these issues and topics with Jeff. Chapter managers, please take this information. Have these discussions with your members. Make sure they're aware of it. Use the resources that we're providing, this podcast being one of them. 
if you have any questions, go through your field rep, talk to them. They'll talk with us. We are happy to have them with you. We are happy to run through scenarios. Always just know at the end of the day, we are going to remind you to discuss with local legal counsel so that you are taking into account any state laws. I want to take a moment now and thank Jeff for coming on the podcast and lending his expertise. It's always appreciated and always enjoy, like I said, getting to discuss these topics with him. So Jeff, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Always enjoy. All righty. Well, again, everyone, I hope you enjoyed. Have a great day. We are recording this right before Labor Day, so check your contracts. I'm pretty sure they have something to say about that. If you have any questions or any ideas for future topics, our ears are always open. But everyone, stay safe and stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>